so I was in the university getting my electrical engineering degree and somewhere in between graduating, I realized that I didn't want to be an engineer. So I started uh, looking elsewhere and, and just reading up on successful individuals and, and kept going back to real estate investing. Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I'm so excited that you're here. The Plan B CRNA podcast is the only show made specifically for nurse anesthetists who are exploring options outside of their traditional career paths. This is the place to expand your mind and your goals as we uncover new ways to produce side income together. Join me for some honest, unscripted discussions with other CRNAs who are transforming their financial lives. This episode is brought to you by On-Call Capital. On-Call Capital is dedicated to educating CRNAs and other healthcare providers about investing outside of the traditional stock market. On-Call Capital also provides opportunities for you, yes, you, to create passive income and generational wealth while also lowering your taxable income through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do that right now so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. And now, on with the show. Welcome to this special guest episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and my guest today is well-known in the apartment investing space, but he didn't necessarily start off that way. George Abreu is a full-time multifamily real estate investor and CEO of Elevate Commercial Investment Group. He focuses on 100 plus units uh, in C, B, and A class properties and also does new development projects. He acquired over 8,000 doors and has $550 million in assets under management. He's also the CEO of JT Construction, which focuses on helping multifamily investors with their due diligence and full renovations. It's great to see you again, George. Yep. Nice to see you too. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, man. Pleasure meeting you uh, back at MM5. And, and so glad we could finally get this connection going and, and uh, you know, happy to have you here today. Awesome. So, but uh, well, you know, like a lot of aspiring real estate investors, you got started with single family homes, right? So if, if you wouldn't mind, just tell us more about that journey. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. So I was in the university getting my electrical engineering degree and somewhere in between graduating, I realized that I didn't want to be an engineer. So I started uh, looking elsewhere and, and just reading up on successful individuals and, and kept going back to real estate investing. So I hired a coach on single family real estate investing and started doing that while at that point I was working at in the engineering department at UPS and um, started getting some deals done in the single family space, uh, wholesaled some deals and then started doing some fix and flips. Ended up quitting my W2, right? Mm -hmm. That was 16 years ago. Uh, started doing investing full time. And then a few years into that, 2008 happened, right? And I needed to make a decision. Um, am I going to keep doing this or, or not? You know, I went all in, ended up actually moving because I was originally from South Florida, born mm -hmm. and raised there. But that market got hit really hard. So there wasn't much I can do 
in 08. So I moved to Dallas and started doing more rentals, started building up my rental portfolio, started doing some small multifamily. And then as the market picked back up, ended up going back to the fix and flips. You know, I really liked doing the work and transforming those properties and then obviously selling them and, you know, good profits, but um, couldn't find a good contractor. I wanted to scale and, you know, I, I could find a couple, but not enough to scale. And that's when I started my construction company, JT Construction. So that was about 12 years ago. And then began scaling. I mean, we were we were spitting them out and um, the projects kept getting bigger and bigger, started tearing off roofs and putting on second stories, eventually started knocking out, knocking down the houses and building them new, uh, started doing some small multis from the ground up, and then got introduced to large multifamily syndications. I had not really, I didn't know the concept before that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, these individuals that are buying these apartments are these massive firms that are coming in with millions and millions of dollars. Um, so that really opened up my eyes and I started digging in, eventually hired a coach, just like I did with the single family. And I realized that that was a space I wanted to be in. And I pretty much uh, made adjustments with the construction company, made adjustments with my investments. And I went all in on multifamily. That was about five years ago, maybe a little bit more now. Since then, uh, acquired right under 8,000 units and we've exited another 1,600 or so. And yeah, continuing to to build that portfolio. So what are some of the, the big changes that you had to face when going from single family to to even even from small multifamily to big multifamily? Uh, a lot of it is mindset, right? Just mm-hmm. um, dealing with those bigger numbers. And also in the single family space, it was we we're using a lot of our own money. And then we had a couple private lenders. I had never had to raise equity before. So that was a big difference. And then the mindset, like I said, you know, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars now versus hundred thousands. But once I was able to get over that, I mean, you know, evaluating the deals is much different, right? You know, single family is your comparables are whatever the properties are selling for in that area versus multifamily. You're, you're more of buying a business where it's how much income is that property producing? Yeah. So, Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, that makes a difference too, um, you know, for sure. I mean, and, and that is affected by the markets that you're in and, and everything. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can charge a certain amount of rent, then that's going to, you know, be the price that you're going to be able to sell that apartment building for. Yep. So, well, cool, man. Uh, so did you have like a, a specific moment where it was like, I have to make this change? Like this is, I, I cannot keep doing this over here, I have to make this change to to get into this multifamily space. Yeah, I, I didn't cover that part, but I had spread myself pretty thin. Um, you know, we were doing maybe 50 plus fix and flips, large renovations, like I was saying, you know, wholesaling another 50 plus deals per per year. The construction company had kind of taken off. We were doing third party work as well. I started a roofing sales department within the construction company where I had 20 plus salesmen oh, man. and I was running all this and 
I felt like I was doing a lot, but not really excelling to the fullest on any of those. So that was around the same time that I got introduced to multifamily syndication. And yeah, you know, at that point, I, I kind of told myself, you know what, this is, I feel it. This is it. This is mm -hmm. what I need to, to focus on. This is instant scale, you know, buying one of these apartments, 100 plus units versus having to do 100 single family homes. So yeah, that was kind of the the moment. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that your company is called Elevate because that's really what you were focused on doing was you were wanting to elevate your business and, and uh, you know, elevate your scale of what you could accomplish. So yep. that's awesome, man. So uh, tell us a little bit uh, about the different cities that you're working in. Cause you said you moved to Dallas. I know that you've had some Texas properties, but those aren't the only markets that you're working in. Right. Right. So I moved to, to Dallas and first market I started looking in was my, my backyard, right? Dallas around the same time that Dallas was on fire and it was hard to, to get deals to pencil and to really tap into the market. So I spent about maybe half a year or so just looking in Dallas and not having any luck. And it actually wasn't until I started looking outside of there. So I still wanted it to be an easy drive, you know, mm -hmm. under four hours or so drive just so I could drive there. And if, if anything, I can visit the property more often. So we ended up finding a deal that was in Temple, Texas, not too far from Dallas. And that was the first deal it was a 37 unit. I don't suggest since then I haven't done anything under hundred units. Mm. Um, you know, the 37 units was actually more work than my other properties that, that are larger. Um, but so we kind of, then we went to a deal in Oklahoma. So we've got a few in Oklahoma now. Got a, went back to Dallas and, and started finding deals in Dallas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so got quite a quite a bit in Dallas, quite a bit in Houston. And then we've got some stuff in Jacksonville, Florida that we closed late last year. We just closed a deal in Northwest Arkansas. Got one in South Carolina. We had some in Georgia that we sold. And then uh, we've got two deals in, in South Dakota as well. Mm. So what is it about these particular markets that you're looking at? I mean, obviously, th some of these are different from each other, but what is it in, in your mind that, that makes a market, you know, something, a place that you want to invest in? Yeah, we like to mix it up a little, right? So the major markets like a Dallas or Houston, those got really good fundamentals. I still feel like you need to know your locations within those cities, right? Those are large cities. So we we definitely like the the outskirts, the cities that are that are still growing from that major metro um, city. We've had very good success with those. And then um, we like the the sleeper type markets too, the ones that we feel still have a lot of room to pop and the fundamentals look good as well. When I say fundamentals, I mean your your job growth, your population growth, your average household income. Um, so that's what we saw with the South Dakota deals. That's what we saw with the Northwest Arkansas deal we just closed. So yeah, markets that not everybody's looking in, but fundamentals are there and, and there's room for growth. That's where you're going to get your highest returns. Uh, but your major metros are still going to give you those if you buy right and you structure it right, you know, they're going to give you solid returns as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I would imagine the appreciation's a little higher in some of those areas as well. Correct. Um, because you can, you can drive the rents, uh, a little bit there, but, but like, I mean, like you mentioned, there are plenty of secondary markets out there that are, that are really, you know, doing well and that you can, you don't have as much competition sometimes in some of those markets, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not hearing people flocking to Arkansas to, (laughs) to invest, but little rocks, a nice town, you know, and, and there's some other cities out there like that, you know, Oklahoma city and some of these Midwestern markets. So, um, yeah, I don't. I don't blame people for looking outside of your your big time metros uh, yep. to, to try and find those things. So, well, I, I did want to talk a little bit because you know you mentioned that you help people with learning more about due diligence and things like that. So, what are some of the things that investors can actually look out for when they're performing due diligence on like, what, whether it's contractors or you know an operating team? What does that look like from their perspective? What should they look out for? You know, for due diligence, as far as uh, the property due diligence, there's a few items that you definitely want to make sure mm-hmm. you check out and can make a, a huge difference on your capex. Which um, I would say the the largest one is probably plumbing. Mm. If it's an older building, not not even I take that back. Even if it's a brand new building, you know, even on our on our newer properties. We want to check the sewer lines. We want to um, run cameras down the lines and and make sure we don't have any cracks or with the newer stuff, what happens a lot is you'll get construction debris Mm. um, in the lines and then you'll start having backups in brand new units, you know, last thing you want. Roofs, you know, pretty much the big ticket item. So Mm -hmm. your, your plumbing, your electrical, your roofs, you know, concrete can get up there depending on on how bad it is, but um, and then your units. You want to walk every single unit. I always yeah. say that. Highly suggest it. Um, you know, uh, a business plan that has renovating your units for let's say eight thousand per unit. Um, you don't check all the units, and it turns out you've got ten down units, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those down units are going to cost you twenty thousand. That's a yeah. big difference. It is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then um, obviously you work with, you know, you have your own agency, your own construction company. Um, but I'm sure you have worked with contractors in the past and, you know, still do. So what, what do you look out for with contractors as far as, cause I mean, people get burned all the time with contractors, <clears throat> you know? So, so what do you look for when you're talking to contractors? Yeah, sorry that I forgot that was a two part there. Um, yeah, I I, I, I got to get better about that. I tend to ask multiple questions and then. <laughs> yeah. No, the the contractors look. It's some of the stuff I'm about to say is, is going to sound obvious, but it's surprising how many people don't do it. So, one before you hire a contractor, you want to check them out online. The reputation. Do they have reviews? Can you find them online? Right? Like you want your contractor to have a reputation to lose, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If they've got no presence online, then they can care less if they run off with your money or or deliver bad quality because there's nowhere for you to go and do anything about it. So that's one, you know, asking for references and actually calling those references. You'd be surprised um, what feedback you can get from a reference sometimes. Uh, you know, if you can physically go look at some of their work, even better. 
think what else you want to ask them about their insurance you want to make sure they're insured that they can add you as an additionally insured if you're in a state that that needs a gc license maybe you can throw that in there as well and then a little more detailed questions as far as well before we even get to to that the scope of work Mm -hmm. so when they give you an estimate you want it to be a detailed scope of work you want to make sure that you can read that scope and know exactly what is getting done and what is not. And if it's not listed in there, don't assume that it's getting done. Go back and make sure that they actually list it in the scope. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to see what their change order process is as well. That's very important. You know, their their price can look good, but then um, they can try to change order you to death. Mm-hmm. So you want to know what that process is and um, how they communicate with you would be the last thing you want to ask them. How are you going to communicate with me on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? Are you going to have a site supervisor? Are you going to have a project manager dedicated to this? That's about it. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great advice. I think that's that's some some good stuff there. So I, I've dealt with contractors in the past a little bit with just my own home and you know, now it's been several years, but I didn't do a lot of that stuff. And, you know, we had a contractor that, you know, we were paying about 12 grand for a project, but they got a job down the street for doing a a kitchen reno for 50 grand. So all of a sudden we were a lot less of a priority than, than this kitchen was. That's something to, you know, when you talk about, you know, the references and following up with that kind of stuff, we might've been able to find that out sooner uh, that that this was the way that this gentleman worked. Yeah. There's one thing I forgot to mention. There was making sure that they are somebody that works within the multifamily space and that that's what they specialize in Mm -hmm. versus getting a single family contractor, single family and multifamily when it comes to construction, completely different. The manpower you need to get a multifamily project done Mm-hmm. is different than the manpower you need for a single family. So that's something you also want to check on. Sure, sure. Now we've seen real estate itself kind of cooling off from the highs of last summer. Um, is what you, yeah, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and deals are getting harder to come by, you know, interest rates have gone up and everything else. But like, uh, what are, what are you seeing out there? How are you seeing deals actually getting done? You know, we're we're having to get a little more creative and I think structuring the deal, the capital stack with the debt being as tight as it is. Um, we're obviously getting less leverage on our deals. So we're having to build that equity stack and it's, it's a bigger stack. So we've got, you know, some private equity firms that come in and, and can help with that. Um, and then loan assumptions. So I hadn't closed not one loan assumption uh, till last year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, now I hear loan assumption and and I'm thrilled. So those are good deals. We've also found... um, So I feel like the the C-class is where we started, right? Mm -hmm. The value add C-class deals. um, We've done a ton of those. I feel like the pricing there, the sellers are still taking a while to kind of come down on their pricing and get a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Where 
some of this A-class stuff, um, especially straight from the developer we've had a lot of success with, and there's still being a good amount of value for us to add when we get in there. Really? Um, even yeah. in the A-class? Even in the A-class. I mean, we we right now we've got a deal under contract that's in lease-up, and we're going to complete the lease-up. We, mm-hmm. we just want it. We're buying it the second they get the COO. And we're getting a discount for doing that, right? And then we're going to take the risk of the lease up, but that's where we're adding the value. Then there's one, there's three actually that we purchased last year that were past the lease up or just past the lease, or actually one was still 80 something percent. So it wasn't quite stabilized, but the rents were way under market. The developer was just worried about filling it and selling it. You know, they're not, they're not operators. Yeah. So that's how we add the value. We come in, we, we raise the rents, and then we also maximize the NOI by adding other income, maybe lowering some of the expenses. Yeah, so that's that's how we're getting deals done right now. We'll still look at the C-class stuff. It's just, it's got to make sense. Yeah. Well, I wanted to go back to something that you talked about because I I'm yeah, I worry about the listeners not understanding exactly what it means. So if you could uh, just briefly tell me a little bit more about what a loan assumption is. Yeah. So in the multifamily commercial world, uh, most loans are going to be assumable, at least agency for sure. And you, it's not like uh, in the single family where, where you're wrapping that loan, right? You're, you're actually assuming the loan, you're taking the responsibility for it. You're, you're getting approved by the lender and going through their criteria and you're taking over the actual loan. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. So, well, I, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about your business because obviously you guys have a lot going on. So, um, you know, what what kind of projects are you guys getting into in 2023? Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff I just mentioned, right? Um, you know, we, that deal in Northwest Arkansas, it's um, straight from the developer, off-market deal. It's three phases. We just closed two weeks ago, first week of this month, um, or this year, I guess, on the phase one and phase two, which was already built and stabilized. So that's where we're just going to be raising the rents and and maximizing the income. And then um, the third phase is still in construction, and we're going to close that around June when the developer gets the COO. That's kind of the stuff we're going after. We we just sent uh, an offer to a developer where we're going to partner with the developer. This is, uh, he's got full entitlements and he's, and he's pretty much ready to move forward and break ground. So we'll get in from the beginning, partner with them on it. And then our role will be to really operate and maximize it once it's built, you know, we'll be managing the construction and, and overseeing it. But for the most part, we're going to really excel in the operations. We're going to bring in our in-house management and, um, yeah, just that's the stuff we've been working on. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. Well, I we've gone over quite a bit today, and uh, you know, I want to make sure that the listeners can reach out to you, uh, you know, if if they want to. So how can how can they do that? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I'll give them a, a couple different ways. So our website, we've got a bunch of free content on there, and and we're constantly updating it. They want to see our investment offerings. They can also go there. So that's elevatecig.com. 
And then if they want to shoot me an email at George or Jorge, J-O-R-G-E at ElevateCIG.com um, and say that they heard me on this podcast, I'll send them over a arsenal of free content. Awesome, man. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, George, you, you've dropped a lot of knowledge for us today in a very short period of time. So uh, I just want to thank you for sharing those experiences with us today. Thank you, Bobby. It was so great having George on the show. His journey has been really pretty amazing. After spreading himself too thin, he's found even greater success by surrounding himself with great people and just putting better systems in place. He's done the work over the years, and that has given him tremendous construction and operating knowledge. Speaking of which, George's tips for finding good operators and contractors may have seemed kind of obvious, but they are so important to actually carry out. As he said, it's surprising how many people don't do their due diligence before trusting someone with important work. That's going to do it for the show. Make sure you reach out to George to find out more about him and what he's getting into in 2023 by using the links in the show notes. This is Bobby Jones signing off. Until next time, stay safe and take care of each other out there. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you haven't already subscribed and reviewed the show, I'd be honored if you took the extra time. It really helps to expand our reach and get the word out about the show. If you're a CRNA who is interested in sharing your story on our podcast, I'd love to have you. Please email me at bobby at oncallinvestments.com for more information. This episode was brought to you by OnCall Capital. They are dedicated to helping providers like you develop passive income and generational wealth through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. Feel free to check out their website at www.oncallinvestments.com and subscribe to their free educational email series. You can find OnCall Capital on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube page where you'll find all of the show episodes along with other educational videos. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.